0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, December the 9th, 2023. Uh, Earlier this year, about six months ago, we had an interesting show with one of America's most distinguished and successful novelist, uh, Jean Hanf Korolitz, um, who was talking to me about Philip Roth. Um, Korolitz, of course, uh, is the author of her latest book, The Late Comer, uh, is doing extremely well. She's uh, one of America's, as I said earlier, most um, august novelists. But she was talking about an event earlier this year uh, in Newark, New Jersey, the 90th birthday party of Philip Roth, uh, Newark and New Jersey's most famous uh, literary son. Uh, The only person who didn't seem to show up for this event was uh, Roth himself, of course, who has, for better or worse, departed the stage. Um, And the event was called Philip Roth Unbound. That may have been the story of his life. He seems to have unbound himself and all his characters in his literature. Uh, We are back not just with Philip Roth, but with that particular event, with my guest today. Uh, Hannah Gold is uh, much younger than uh, Coralitz. Uh, she's starting out as a writer, and she had a very interesting piece in Harper's Magazine this month uh, on that event. It's a kind of diary of her experience there. Your mind's in the hands of everything, letting go of Philip Roth. Uh, And um, Hannah is joining us from her apartment in Brooklyn. We can never really let go of Philip Roth, Hannah, can't we? Isn't that the whole point (laughs) of uh, your piece? Um, For we who
1: love him and have been uh, deeply affected by his work, I would say uh, probably not, probably not even if we tried. But I think uh, my purpose with this piece was not really to try, but to kind of observe people who are gathering to remember him and maybe mourn him a little and see him in a different light or or not that was sort of the question one of the guiding questions of the piece
0: you know, as as i said i don't want to generationalize this too much hannah although i'm just about to do that okay. um okay you're obviously younger you're starting out as a writer um many of the characters that you describe in your book are older almost rothian in their generation people in their 60s 70s and 80s do you think as a as a younger writer thinker uh you bring another kind of perspective on raw i mean you're sympathetic of course but you you know all the arguments about him and women and sex and all the rest of it
1: um i mean maybe i'm I'm I don't know if I have like a a totally different perspective probably different from the people a lot of the people who are on the panel but I think that like them I've been very um moved and seduced by his work and have a pretty i mean not as long as some of the people who were talking about him but a pretty long relationship with him as a as a reader um do I bring a different perspective I mean there was a, there was a not a vast array, but there were many different uh, views about him expressed. Many people there um, at the uh, festival were writing books about him or had written books or had been writing books of their own inspired in some ways by his work. So I think in that way, maybe they have a longer, more engaged uh, kind of take on his work but I feel like maybe you're getting at some sort of like fresh feminist perspective and-
0: Oh, I wouldn't dare go that area. (laughs) I'd get myself into trouble, Hannah. Uh, I'm going wherever you want to go with Roth. Um, I I mean, obviously there's that element. Uh, I, I wonder whether you're slightly unusual in being if not a huge fan, I mean, you're certainly sympathetic and the piece is in some ways very sympathetic to his work. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that you're not necessarily typical. And again, I don't want to generationalize this too much, but you're not necessarily typical of your generation in literary terms. He's probably not the greatest hero um, of your generation. Is that fair, literary?
1: Yeah, I think, well, one thing I kind of, one thing that a lot of people expressed to me, um, and like people who I kind of uh, was running, bumping into and speaking to on the side, and um, that the people um, on several of the panels expressed too, is that there was kind of this, um, this trepidation, this worry that he wouldn't, his work wouldn't kind of find a foothold in the younger generations and that, That concern was kind of um it was about people's personal uh preferences and reading habits, but I think also like from a educational standpoint, like I talked to some academics uh who teach, of course, and they were um they were a bit wary about uh teaching Roth, about you know, like the kinds of reactions their students might have, whether they would be kind of take offense um, or not uh, not want to be to be taught, Roth. Like I think that because I don't come from an academic background and I haven't really observed um, a lot of that stuff firsthand. I I I believe it. I believe that there might be difficulty teaching students, Roth, there might be difficulty teaching students a whole range of uh, literature. But for me, my personal experience was coming to Roth really early and uh, having him recommended to me by a very uh, formative, formative high school teacher of mine. So in that way, maybe my experience is atypical and not like representative, it's really hard for me to know, because I talk to people who a lot of them are writers and they kind of skew towards towards Roth.
0: Um, yeah, I assume you haven't been blacklisted by your your fellow journalists and writers in Brooklyn, many of them of course. Um where are we uh Hannah in the history of Roth studies and Roth analysis and Roth memorabilia and above all else Roth uh, reputation are we at the high point the low point as he disappeared hmm. in 2023 uh, i mean a- aside from the event in in newark uh, earlier this year which you write about where does he stand in the pantheon or sit or is he outside it now
1: okay, again i can't really answer from an academic perspective but i think in terms of like popular culture he's still extremely well-known well-regarded um you could find his books anywhere and if you talk to anyone in brooklyn certainly you're bound to get an opinion about him i think whether good or bad people are very interested in his work and interested in talking about him and interested in all the kind of rumors and scandals and stuff that have kind of swirled around him lately so i think he's still I think he's an exciting um, subject for a piece because people are still uh, super really engaged with him. And that might be because they're enormous fans who have been incredibly taken in by his work, or it might be because they people feel kind of uncomfortable and like they don't know exactly what to think about him. Maybe they've read a book or two of his and they liked it, but they didn't like some aspects that made him un- uncomfortable. But I think whatever, um level of engagement people tend to be now some people probably just like couldn't care less and that's most people but I think in terms of people who like you know are reading widely and um have read his books at some point I think he's pretty maybe not a high point not at the height of like you know it's not like the American trilogy is coming out right now and everyone is reading his work and he's reading all and he's um winning all the prizes but i think i think the legacy is is strong yeah
0: the wikipedia page of philip roth which i'm sure has a, a million people arguing about what should and shouldn't be said, has this incredible photo of him it looks like a movie star in yeah, the photo and novel, i'm sure that unliner. Yeah, it's an amazing photo um, in, a, in some sort of fur coat, um, looking very yeah. dark and handsome and dangerous. What do you think he was like, Roth? I mean, how would you summarize him in your... Uh, and what was the difference between... Or what's the difference between Roth, the real Roth, if there was a real Roth, Philip Roth, and the Roth of his fan boys and girls who you bumped into in Newark earlier this year?
1: Well, Roth as I understand it, he was um in his time, he was a huge celebrity and he was a literary celebrity and he um he took a lot of time away from um uh, the you know, New York City and the centers of cultural production and um pageantry. But he uh was extremely um I think I think he was pro- he just wrote all the time. He was very protective of his writing time and obviously produced so much stuff. Um so he was just like a guy who wrote and then he also had this kind of like wild um tumultuous uh personal life that uh, a lot of people I think rightly associate with like uh being sort of sexually promiscuous and things like that his fans I mean now his fans are the people who I encountered at this uh festival a few of them are like were younger um attendants and academics and stuff but a lot of them were uh on on the older side maybe like the 65 70 plus crowd and um I think Regardless of age, maybe there's something, like, uh, the fans identify, I think, with his sort of, um, whether they're conscious of it or not, with his sort of, like, need for affirmation and um, need for uh, success and his brilliance. Like, a lot of people, I think, a lot of people are brilliant, a lot of people think they're brilliant but not everyone has the success ha- that Philip Roth had. And I think a lot of people, because of, for a lot of other reasons, we could get into like the way that he writes so directly with his um, voice so unmasked to the reader, have these really, um, they, they feel kind of like close to him for reasons that might not uh, be apparent in like the rest of their lives, is my sense as I go analyze
0: we are speaking Philip Roth this morning with Hannah Gold the author of your minds in the hands of everything a uh, very interesting and beautifully written piece uh in Harper's magazine uh on her experience at the Philip Roth unbound 90th birthday celebrations in Newark New Jersey earlier this year uh you mentioned uh in the piece uh Hannah that uh, or you quote a piece from um Roth that he wanted to possess his readers. A lot of the controversies about Roth, the literary controversies are inside and outside academia are about power. Um he, of course, was a powerful figure. He wanted to possess his women, he wanted to possess his readers. Um is, is there something essentially about Roth in an old-fashioned sense? Is it really his writing is about power, the power of one over other, power of men over women? the power of the author over their reading
1: hmm i mean power is an interesting word because i think he's like someone who's like i often associate the word power with like with politics and i think he was someone who was a little um slippery about politics and his focus was on writing perfect sentences he was one of those people who kind of like made it made a distinction i would say and didn't want to every didn't want to be read politically a lot of the time, especially by women and his young um female students. Uh but I think power is uh certainly baked into uh everything that he I think he was conscious in his own life, let's just say, about um he had I think a kind of uh, uncomfortable and ultimately unsettled relationship with his sort of will to power like he I think wanted to be an enormous success and he never kind of like relinquished that desire even when he achieved it he kind of like wanted more and more and more um and I think that was something that um he struggled with a bit, but I think that I wouldn't say like above and beyond other authors, his work is about power. But I do think possession, that word uh, comes to mind is the word that he used is extremely um, that was perceptive of him about his own work, because I think that kind of like one on one relationship, one person possessing another, the author possessing a, a reader. Um, you know like and the i think that that was something he uh was very uh conscious of and very intent on and that extended to his personal life
0: I'm not a Roth expert, but I always remember one story that he, he stood while he wrote. And I wonder that was because he wanted to stand above his words to be in control of his language. He wasn't That's equal funny. with his words.
1: Like a standing desk or like he stood? <laughs> uh,
0: I think he I think he had a, a kind of an, an early version of a standing desk where he mm. wouldn't sit. He would stand and write. I mean, he's obviously a, a remarkably disciplined
1: All right. writer. The, his
0: the bad back. In terms of his relationship with his language, was there was it a two-way relationship, or did was he always possessing his own words too?
1: I mean did his words
0: speak po- back possessing? ever to him?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, that was sort of one kind of metaphor I was like playing with a little bit with them. I mean, I think that certainly. Uh, with the whole, uh, Bailey scandal, which I don't know if we want to get into, but that was something that I kind of discussed it. Um, you might mention it briefly.
0: Tell everyone what it was about.
1: So his, um, his biographer, Blake Bailey, uh, he hand selected him after having a falling out with his previous biographer. And he, part of the reason he chose Bailey who, um, is you know very accomplished and written a bunch of other biographies of authors but i think the reason that he chose bailey in particular was because he was very um he just sort of took roth at his word and was uh very affirming of his views about women about you know his his life as he saw it he saw himself always as kind of uh he saw enemies everywhere, which started, I think, when he, you know, got a lot of negative attention and a lot of uh, attention in general for Port- Portnoy's complaint. But that kind of, like, continued. And then Bailey was um, accused of, after Roth died and the biography came out, Bailey was accused of, like, of grooming some of his former students and assaulting some some women and there was a huge his publisher norton dropped the book and it was taken up again by skyhorse press and it was just a um it caused people to reconsider roth's work in the light of his sort of misogyny and his sort of inability to um overcome his own kind of like instincts which are expressed i mean this is sort of getting away from words i think but i but my sense is that he had a lot of um control over the words on the page but then when those same some of those same sentiments kind of that were expressed in his novels uh have sort of come back to haunt his legacy a bit so he's not so in control anymore. He's also not around to,
0: you know. I wonder if the title of your, of your piece is your mind's in the hands of everything. I wonder what kind of hands Philip Roth had, whether he had big hands. I bet I he liked to have big hands.
1: Wait, what, who had big hands?
0: Whether he had big hands. Yeah,
1: um, I mean, he was a tall guy, so maybe like in proportion. yeah and
0: what you do with your hands of course control things control yourself control others and of course port noise complaint is famous for the use of the hands uh, male use of the hands uh we are speaking with uh hannah gold young journalist writer fiction writer non-fiction based in uh, brooklyn new york of all places you're the only writer in brooklyn hannah aren't you (laughs) Yeah, I uh, all to myself. The author of uh, so anyways, a lovely new piece in uh, this month's issue of Harper's Magazine, Your Minds in the Hands of Everything, Letting Go of Philip Roth. Of course, it's about anything but letting go. It's about bringing him back to life one way or the other. Uh, I want to thank uh, our friends at Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, uh, edited by my old friend, uh, leon uh, Weaselteer, who i know had a complicated himself relationship with philip roth i've talked to him about that um it's an excellent new quarter we're going to run a short piece about it and then we'll be back with hannah gold to talk more philip roth roth is a failure and i want to talk about ai and roth also so don't go away anyone beyond the news the noise there is nuance insight And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Hannah Gold, the author of Your Minds in the Hands of Everything, an intriguing new essay about Philip Roth in this month's issue of Harper's Magazine. Um, We haven't talked books, uh, and of course, Philip Roth is famous because he was the author of many books, everything from Portnoy's Complaint to The Human Stain. Uh, perhaps the book that most comes up in your piece, which I have to admit I, I'm not familiar with, I haven't read, is Sabbath Theatre. Tell us about this book and, and why it intrigues you so much, Hannah. Um,
1: well, it's I reread it for this piece. Uh, I'd read it maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, something like that. But I reread it because um, actually they were putting... It, it's up now. It's like up and running in New York, but there is, they were workshopping a production of Sabbath cedar as part of the, um,
0: yeah, John, one of the events. With John, John, uh, John uh, Tut- uh, Tutoro is in it. Yeah.
1: Um, so that was the reason why I, I thought to, to bring it. It's, um, it's the story of this, like, uh, older, kind of disgraced, uh, former puppeteer who is um, sort of fleeing all of these uh, catastrophes that have befallen him in his life and it's written in a way that's it's very um, intense and kind of never never lets up and it's very I I brought it with me because I wanted to reacquaint myself with it but also because I was just like curious how um, the text would be adapted into this, into a play that's actually, that could actually be performed and like um, wouldn't be, the the book is very like interior, um, very focused on um, Sabbath's, uh, his name's Mickey Sabbath, the protagonist on his um, sort of, inner doom and downfall so yeah i thought it would be a good idea to bring with me i couldn't bring every you know philip roth book with me and i figured i should read philip roth while i was in new
0: art uh, i think they're puppeteers of course well, they use their hands it's back to the yeah. with their hands one of the I roth things felt, but... yeah um sorry uh, did you want to talk more about hands and puppeteers
1: <laughs> no 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 I mean, we he was certainly a puppeteer of,
0: he he wanted to be a puppeteer he was a failed puppeteer and i think one of the things that comes out of your piece which i really enjoyed was the idea of roth as a failure um you note know that uh everyone complained there all his fans that he didn't win the nobel prize you talk about his failure to be um a, a script writer um so it's kind of ironic that uh sabbath uh sabbath's theater is now being put on the new york stage when he could never get anything of his own written on on the stage do you think that um roth ultimately thought of himself as a kind of failure and is that maybe what drove him so productive Mm -hmm. so prolific
1: um i think he always needed to prove himself um i think that he wasn't satisfied with what he had and i also think he had a great talent and a great kind of drive to to write and it was almost like a almost like a sport almost like a kind of like athleticism that he could keep up into you know old age um i don't know if he i think he worried about failure i think he thought highly of himself and his work or at least that's how he spoke of it um in in interviews and stuff but i i don't think he was ever satisfied which is different from feeling like a failure but um i don't think anything could have completely um extinguished his lust for writing
0: you've written about other literary greats recently departed you wrote a piece about that's
1: actually not mine oh
0: that's not yours that's the other hannah Gold. yeah oh my god it's easy to get confused but right I wonder whether um, there is for you a sense of nostalgia for these literary greats. I mean, whatever one thinks of Philip Roth, there's no one of his stature left now in the literary world. There may be the Gene the Hamph correlates of the world, but they don't compare. They're not mythical figures. They're not central in our culture. Do you feel as a, as a younger writer that we should be slightly nostalgic for the glory days? when the Philip Roth and the Norman Mailers, these big beasts roamed the bookstores and the publishers?
1: Well, I don't feel nostalgic for it. I don't think of them as beasts. I think of them as very flawed men who are, you know, uh, very talented and and driven and given a lot of um, license where maybe some other people weren't. Uh, but I, I feel good about, <laughs> about literature now, I mean, I think there are, you know, there are plenty of, of great writers with um, huge fan bases who are kind of obsessed with them, like I think of someone like Zadie Smith, um, who also kind of b- bestride the world of uh, letters and fiction. Um so no I don't I don't feel nostalgic but times have have changed for sure
0: Earlier uh this week we did a, another interview with someone who um has a piece in this it's the cover piece actually in um in in Harper's uh the Hoffman wobble by Ben Lerner who who we also talked about nostalgia uh, and we talked about the promise of digital technology and its impact on the writer what do you think philip roth would have thought of ai and the ability of uh, smart machines to replicate his work
1: um well taking my cue from his fans i don't think he would have liked it at all i mean i think he was very um intent on the the craft of writing the experience of it that's how he spent his life uh i you mean like things like um like ai writing uh, text for for the ability
0: to go into a chat gpt for example yeah. and ask it to write a piece like philip roth in the style of philip roth i didn't do it for this particular piece but one could Mm -hmm. And what will come out will come close in some ways. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be purely Rothian. And Roth would, I don't think, would be particularly impressed. But uh, these machines are increasingly able to mimic the work of writers like Roth. Writers with a particular kind of style.
1: Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's a big big no-no for Roth. I mean, I can't speak for Roth, but there's no way he would he would like that and he'd probably be, um, if he, you know, lived to really see that, I don't think, um, you know, I think he would find it, he would, he would find it
0: disgraceful maybe. Disgraceful? Um, You'd be morally outraged? You think? Well,
1: I don't know. I don't, I just, based on like the principles he held in the way that he lived his life. And I don't think he had, um, I mean, it's possible maybe if if it had happened, that kind of innovation happened when he was a young man, he would feel differently. But I think having lived his whole life the way that he did, um, I don't think he would be welcoming of uh, a robot, uh, you know, stealing Yeah, we have to imagine
0: a a Philip Roth robot and Betty would have big hands. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. We seem Hannah. to, uh, in,
0: in, in December 2023, um, Hannah, we seem to be living in a sense in a Rothian moment. Uh, his One of his most famous books was The Plot Against America, reimagining an American history in which uh, Charles Lindbergh comes to power and America became an anti-Semitic place. The issue of anti-Semitism, of course, is enormously controversial in America after the Israeli invasion of the the October events and then the Israeli response, the invasion of Gaza. Roth is famous as a Jewish writer. It's hard to imagine him without that moniker. Is he helpful these days as America struggles with anti-Semitism and anti-anti-Semitism? Is reading Roth helpful or does it just dig us further into that hole
1: um, I don't think Roth would have thought he was helpful on this subject I mean he was interested in it and he was interested in the kind of the dramas that um, he was I think he felt a kind of uh, a, you know a kinship with um, a deep uh, allegiance to America and is uh, is Jewish and that's was a central part of everything that he that he wrote um but in terms of like today and and anti-Semitism and um the atrocities in in Gaza, I think it would be better to uh, look around the world as it as it is and um, you know not not to take our political cues from uh, Philip Roth, trying to think of like a more (laughs) interesting way to to answer that question. But I, I don't think one should seek their politics in Philip Roth's texts. I think there's other things that are even even the
0: politics of what it means to be Jewish and anti Semitism.
1: Well, I think inevitably people will um, find, they'll find messages there um, if they read his work. But I don't really think like, uh, I think sometimes analogies like the one kind of explored in A Plot Against America, analogy or ultimate hi- or um, alternate history, whatever you want to call it, are not
0: a counterfactual I've, is, I think, sometimes people it.
1: Yeah, but I think people often, like they read that book as an, as an analogy for our times or a kind of like warning of <clears throat> what could happen here. And I don't uh, think that that is, um, uh, inevitably people will get a message from that. But I, and it's interesting to discuss, I'm happy to discuss that more but i think that it's better to like look at the news talk to your friends try to develop an informed opinion but i'm also not quite sure exactly what in the text you're you're pointing to but uh yeah that's what i generally think about about that
0: finally hannah we're asking all our guests this Uh question to conclude the keen on interviews um In our age, we talked earlier about smart machines, chat GPT, the age of AI. We seem to be in the age of AI, whatever that means, or maybe on the brink of the age of AI. It's certainly on the horizon. Um, As AI becomes, artificial intelligence becomes more and more central in our lives, what problem, in your view, would you like AI to solve more than any other? What do you think would be, you could have one wish when it came to AI in terms of solving one of the problems in the world? What would it be? And why?
1: Yes, very good question. Um, yeah, I thought about this. And I, I, uh, I don't feel like I have a lot of use for AI in my life as a writer. But I was thinking that um, it's been a really I like to do karaoke. And it's been a really long time since um, those karaoke machines have been updated. Like often the lyrics are way off. The um, images accompanying the lyrics are bizarre. I don't necessarily want to change that aspect of it. But I think that maybe AI could go about doing their, um, you know, voice to text thing that they do increasingly well and could kind of fix the the karaoke problem